Lindsay has already mentioned that we're, we're midway through a sermon series called Seeing and Savoring Jesus in the Psalms. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11, which are repeated verbatim in Acts chapter 2, and so we'll read both of those. But before we do that, I want to make two comments and then pray. The first comment is that there are some Bible passages, when you open them up and read them, that are fairly self-explanatory within themselves. There are others where you need to say, now what does this mean and what do I under, how do I understand this given what the rest of the Bible says? This morning is one of those. And so as we enter into this joy of Jesus that Psalm 16 opens up for us, we'll be touching down at a number of places in Scripture. The second thing I want to say about that is that when we touch down in those places, this is a morning where we need to be reminded, do not let the Word of God come down to your present experience, but expect God to bring your experience up to what His Word says. Let me say that again. Do not let the Word of God come down to what you experience. Accept the Word humbly planted in you, says James, as truth, and ask God to bring your experience or your life up to what His Word says. Remember that as we go through this sermon. All right. Um, Let me pray that the Lord will help us to do that. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we remember that your word is holy because it originates and comes from you, that your word has power to change and transform, but we also remember that you warned us in the Gospels that that word's got to fall on good soil because there's an enemy who wants to come and to steal it and to take it away. And so, Lord, we pray that you would plant by your spirit, you'd plant your word in our hearts this morning, and that you'd cause it to grow up to bear great fruit, the fruit of joy, and of people who live in the fullness of your joy, Jesus. And so I pray, come Holy Spirit, and preach this sermon through me, and pour out joy upon us as we hear your word. Amen. So Psalm... 16, unlike other psalms, I'm not going to read the whole one. I'm going to start at verse 8 to 11. This is the part of the psalm where David, who's writing it, begins prophesying or speaking about Jesus as the Messiah to come. And David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices my body my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your holy one see decay you've made known to me the path of life you fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand And then flipping to Acts chapter 2. Verse 
and beginning at verse 22. So Jesus has risen from the dead. He's met with his disciples for a period of about 40 days. He's ascended to heaven. He's been glorified. And he has poured out his Holy Spirit. All Jerusalem has been disrupted and attracted to what's going on. They've all come and said, what is going on? And Peter stands up and begins to preach this sermon. And we're picking up in the middle of Peter's sermon about what God's just done. And Peter says, men or people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Got a little something here that I want to want to read to you, but I've got to find it first. Where did it go? There it is. There it is. Thank you. Okay, we're um, we're gonna open the sermon this way. I'm gonna read a little something to you, and you're gonna guess what it's talking about. And um, I'll tell you right away that the answer is not heaven, okay? So this is a quote by Todd Vanderwerf, and he's describing a place. And you're going to guess what that place is. There is a place where it's always Christmas, where there's always snow on the ground, where family togetherness is the word to live by where the horrors of the world reliably subside amid the flurries of a beautiful snowstorm, where nobody seems, nobody so much as swears, and true love is always just around the corner, even for those who may seem like lost causes. 
a place where there are no outwardly objectionable elements and there is always a heartwarming ending. What is that place? Who said it? Yeah, Maddie. You hear that? Hallmark movie. (laughs) This place is a Hallmark movie. Did you know that Hallmark now makes about 30 Christmas movies a year? A year. And for the last 10 years, they've been pumping out about 30 movies, all all different, and yet all will encompass the same sort of themes. They've got their own movie channel. It's one of the top 10 to 15 most popular channels all year round. And the day after Thanksgiving, it spikes to number one and stays there till January. Why? Well, I, I think it's because, uh, not because they're cheesy, which many of them are, but, but because they hold at the center of them something that we're drawn toward. They hold inside of them something that we were created for. We were made for joy. We were made for togetherness. We were made for places and spaces where relationships are full. Love is complete. There is not tension. We are celebrating being together. There's fellowship. We're made for joy. And so there's something in these Hallmark movies. Come Christmas time, everybody wants to, they want to be together in these kind of places. But the reality is that... um, a little bit of snow on the ground and in the sky and some presents around the tree and some chestnuts roasting on the fire. I don't know how that goes, but you know the song. Um, That doesn't get rid of loneliness that still persists through the season, right? It doesn't get rid of sickness or disease. It doesn't get rid of our debts don't go away. Our housing issues don't drop away. Our, our tense relationships don't just like, whoop, 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 it's Christmas time. Everybody's getting along perfectly. And, you know, so the awkward family dynamics or the tension, if, if we've got struggles, they persist. And so the choice is we can drown ourselves in an imaginary world and pretend and live vicariously through that. Or we can say to ourselves, might there just be a joy that is deeper and that would last and that would fill even in the midst of and through all of this stuff that's very real? And the answer to that question is a real simple yes, but it's not so simple that it's just we're all living in it or he wouldn't be listening to this sermon going, tell me, tell me how I can experience more joy. Tell me. So, Here's the short answer. Before I launch into um, the last verse of Psalm 16, remember this, that on Jesus' last night on this earth, he turned to his disciples and in talking to them, he said, among other things, he said, the reason I'm telling you these things is so that my joy can be in you. And your joy will be full or complete. So Jesus longs for us to live with the joy that he lives with. Now listen to Psalm 1611. You have made known to me the path of life. 
You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In Hebrew poetry, um, oftentimes the second line repeats the first line but a little bit different way, and that's to emphasize it. So when it says joy in your presence, eternal pleasures at your right hand, that means those two are the same thing. And um, we're talking about this place that's full of joy and pleasure. And so, Carmel, she might need to go get a drink. Yeah. And so, we're, this is going to come back around to us because Jesus has said to us, I want my joy to be in you. But if Jesus' joy is going to be in us, and if we're going to live with a deep joy, we've got to say to ourselves, now what is Jesus' joy? What makes Jesus so joyful? We've got to look long at Jesus and say, show me, Lord, why you are so joyful. Did you know that the scripture says that Jesus is the most joyful person ever to live? Hebrews 1 quotes Psalm 45 and says, God anointed him, blessed him with the oil of joy. Do you know why it says that? Psalm says, because he loved righteousness. Because he loved what was right and good and holy and pure. God anointed him with joy. Because he loved righteousness. Okay? So there's one reason why Jesus is filled with joy. But why, why else? What else do we know about the character of Jesus and what would give him joy or what would make him joyful? Well, I want to take us back to last week's Sunday. And if you were here for our establishing service, you heard Pastor Gina and I co-preach a sermon on the love of God from the parable of the prodigal son in which we witnessed Jesus say, essentially, to the scribes and the Pharisees who were muttering about why Jesus was visiting with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, and why would you want to be around people like that? Jesus answered and told this story in which he demonstrated what God was like, and he demonstrated a father who would humiliate himself over and over and over again. Why? So that... He could reconcile a broken relationship so that his children could come home. In other words, what it's like to be God is to have such deep longing in your heart for those that you love to come home, to come into relationship with you. Such deep longing that you might be able to not just draw them in, but that you could restore them. So prodigal's gone off and wasted his dad's money and wasted his life in sin, and he's welcomed home, and a party is thrown, and there's a restoration process. When when, um, John is sharing his vision in the book of Revelation, he shares Jesus speaking these words. Look, or behold, I am making all things new. This is a really important word for us. Jesus is saying that he loves 
that he takes joy in making things new. Renewing. Restoring. This past week, uh, I was in my own personal devotions. I was reading from the book of Isaiah. And um, last week's sermon uh, also affected me. I was having sort of aftershocks of grace as I just kept meditating on what kind of love is this. And I'm, I'm reading Isaiah. And I, I'm reading Isaiah's speaking the words of God to Israel. And God's arguing with Israel. And he's, he's reasoning with them. And he's saying, you know, come on, these idols of wood and stone, like, this is stupid. You, you take one half of a tree and you, you roast it in the fire and the other half you carve something that you bow down to. And on and on he goes, reasoning with them. And this is what I thought. You don't need to do this. You're God. You don't need to argue with them. You don't need to convince them. You don't need to lower yourself to do this. You don't need to waste your time. You're God. We're like ants on earth. You're God. And again, I thought, what kind of love is this that would humble or humiliate himself to argue or reason with his very creation, with his very creatures? What kind of love is that? And again, I was brought back to the heart of God, that God's declared, demonstrated intent from creation all the way to new creation, or when he comes back, is restoring. So if you want to know what gives God joy, and Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. What you see in me is the Father. It's restoring and reconciling and renewing. In other words, God didn't save you. God didn't save me. Because he had to, because it was a chore or a burden or anything other than I just take like like think about the delight that an artist takes in what they create. Think about a delight that a parent has in their own child when that child is flourishing. God's delight is not just in bringing you and I forth to, to be on this earth, but his delight is in calling us back, welcoming us in, healing us, restoring us, making all things new. This is what Jesus says makes him joyful. So in Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Well, what was the joy that was set before him? Like just getting up, resurrected from the dead? Oh, joyful day, I was dead and I'm alive. No, it's not just resurrection. It's what he's doing after resurrection. Renewing all things from heaven by his spirit. So this is Jesus saying, what gives God the Father joy, what gives me joy, what gives heaven joy, is healing and renewing, reconciling and restoring. I love to give of myself. I love to give gifts. Okay. I think you're seeing, I think we're seeing Jesus' joy. Jesus loves to give. Now, how does Jesus' joy become our joy? I want to read to you a few short scriptures and tie them together. Psalm 36 verse 8 says, 
You give them drink. They're just one verse, so don't turn as I turn. You won't be able to keep up, okay? You give them drink from your river of delight. You give them drink from your river of delight. Psalm 46, 4. There is a river, hear that word again, whose streams make glad, joy again, the city or the people of God. You give them drink from your river of delights. There's a river whose streams make glad the city or the people of God. Now listen to this. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says to those believers, For you were all given one spirit to drink. You were all given one spirit to drink. Did you ever read those words before? You ever think about drinking from the Spirit of God? What is the river? The river is God's Spirit. That's what the prophet Ezekiel shows us. The river is God. So there's a river that brings joy. That's what the Old Testament's telling us, prophesying. And what is that river? Paul says you've been given a river, you've been given a spirit to drink from. We'll talk about that in a minute. What does that mean? What does that look like? But there's this, right now what we're hearing is that there's this source that we can drink from that will bring joy. Okay. When Peter was preaching his sermon in Acts 2, he read this quote from Acts, from the psalm verbatim, but then you know what he did. Did you catch this? He said, he pointed back, he ended with the words about joy, in your presence, and then he pointed back and he said to what just happened, and he said, what you see here is this Jesus in heaven, filled with joy, pouring out his spirit. Why would he do that? Well, what did the people in the crowd say when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost? They said, you're drunk. They said, they're drunk. Peter had to get up and say, no, 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 no. They're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. They're not drunk. This is the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, when God's Spirit, the river, was poured out, there was such joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. There was such joy from the Spirit of God's presence being poured out on the church. People thought that they were drunk. And so Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he says, don't get drunk on wine. That leads to, 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 to. he said, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So how do, does Jesus' joy become my joy and your joy? Well, I, I receive it from the Spirit of God. I drink from the Spirit. So let's talk about what that means, drinking from the Spirit or receiving joy through or from the Spirit. What do you do when you're thirsty, when, you're, when, you're, when, you, when you want some water? You, uh, you do not lie in your bed in your bedroom and go, man, it would be nice to have a cup of cold water right now. I sure wish that cup of cold water would just, well, some of you might do that and hope your spouse hears and and brings you something but most of us when we want a cup of cold water we don't go you know i'd really like something to drink and i just oh man i just wish i wasn't so thirsty it sucks being thirsty no we don't do that 
we get up out of the bed and we go to the source of the water and we turn it on and we put something underneath the water to catch it. And that might be a cup, it might be hands, or it might be just your mouth. But you go to the source and you turn it on and you get something. So here's a picture. God is spirit. He's put his spirit in us. And he said, I'm the source of all joy. And there is fullness of joy for you. You want it? Come to me. Come to the source. So God's got a role and we've got a role in joy becoming ours. God's role is providing. He turns the tap on. He is the one from whom the water, the spirit, and the joy flows. We go to the source. We go to the source. And so what is involved in maybe like putting a cup under, going and putting a cup under? Let's, let's talk about this and let's just say practically, what does it look like to go to God and to receive from him? Because many of you are sitting here right now going, I don't know what that means. I don't, I mean, I, I could say a prayer. I, I could talk to God, but I don't, I don't know what it means to drink and from the spirit of God and receive from him, commune with God? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our example in everything. So we're going to look to Jesus again and we're going to say, um, what do we see in Jesus? What do we see in Jesus? Here are five, six really quick practical tips for how to drink joy that the Lord would give. Okay? The first one we already heard, love righteousness. God has already forgiven us our sins. Okay, This isn't a matter of whether we're forgiven or not, but he won't dwell with sin. He's not going to go put his presence near something that is uh, where we're carrying on and we know we're doing something we aren't supposed to be doing. So some of us here this morning might be struggling with, well, I, I can't just, I can't feel joy. I can't feel anything. How am I supposed to feel joy? My heart just kind of feels like it's numb. Well, that might be because we refuse to forgive. And so there's some forgiveness work that needs to happen. It could be, there, there could be other reasons like life's been so hard or so painful or so difficult that we just shut down to feeling altogether because feeling was hard. And, and so we not only shut down the painful stuff, but we also shut down our ability to feel joy. Okay? If that's you and you're sitting here this morning, just know that there's healing for the painful stuff from Jesus. That's a different conversation, and that's why we have prayer ministry and why you could talk to Anna afterwards if that's you and you want to schedule a time to pray with someone. Okay? So, so there may be need for healing. But then... When I think about hungering for righteousness, I think this is not just about the law and like doing what God requires in his law. This is about loving what's good and holy and pure. This is about devoting the, the time, your time and your affections and your energy toward everything that God says is good and right and holy, his kingdom. Okay. So you got a lot, we got a lot of choices about how we spend our time. And four hours on Facebook does never leave anyone full. You don't get joy from four hours on Facebook. But if you go dedicate 
four hours of time to serving somebody who has a need and participating in what God calls good and right and lovely, you will feel full. So loving righteousness is so much more than just a narrow view of what's good and right, although it includes that, right? God won't bring his presence and his joy near blatant sin. Okay, but we, we, can, we can say, God, give me a life that is set on your kingdom, that hungers for it, that participates in it, that grows in awareness of what it is, and there's joy. There's joy. So number two, one, love righteousness. Two, practice constant gratitude. If you thank the Lord genuinely, you'll find that joy comes and that that joy pushes out and replaces other difficult things. It's impossible for those things to stay in the presence of real gratitude. So we don't, sometimes we don't start thanking God because we feel thankful. We start thanking God actually because it's, what is gonna, it's what's going to bring us into his presence where the psalmist says, you fill me with joy in your presence. Well, what does the psalmist say in Psalm 100? Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. That means his presence. I'm going to enter the presence of God by just starting to thank him. And so in your personal prayer time, wherever you are, you could be at work. You could be having a real difficult time at work. You could be um, waiting for the bus. Wherever you are, you can just start thanking God. You just say, God, give me eyes to see things in my life that are, that are a blessing from you, that are a gift. God, give me eyes to see things around me that I can thank you for. And you just, you'd be amazed at what you can find to thank God for. And you just start thanking him. And when you start thanking him, up will we'll spring this well. And he, all of a sudden there's joy. There's joy. Joy in the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. So you... This doesn't, this doesn't come to us naturally, does it? No. Actually, it takes practice. It's like a spiritual discipline. We need help. We need reminders. Maybe we need a friend. Maybe we need something on the mirror at home. But like, we need help practicing constant gratitude. But the scriptures say, pray continually. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. Yeah. So, love righteousness. Practice gratitude. Three, worship. Worship. You tell the Lord how wonderful he is and you find if you don't experience joy. How do I tell the Lord how wonderful he is? I just read his word and I marvel. I marvel at his grace, his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, his power, his beauty. And I just tell him. I can't tell you how many times I still thank God I'm saved. Like every other day I go, I can't believe you chose me. I can't believe... I did nothing to deserve this. But it's this feeling of immense joy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, we're back at thanks again. <laughs> I guess there's kind of a loop here, a pattern. But worship, right? They're, it's all intertwined. So worship the Lord. The, the psalm says in, I think, Psalm 108, blessed, which means what? Oh, how happy or oh, the deep delight of. Blessed is the one who's learned to acclaim you, who walks in the light of your presence. You want God's presence, his joy, acclaim him, worship him. You can do this anywhere, walking down the street, 
Again, at the bus stop at work, just praise the Lord. It's part of Thanksgiving. So praise and thanksgiving. Um, and we see this in Jesus. I, I for, I'm forgetting to make those connections. But number four. Number four thing that Jesus showed us. Love the Father and be in relationship with him. So for Jesus, all of his ministry, everything that he did, his entire life, flowed out of uh, an intimate walk with God the Father. He is one with the Father. He knows the Father's heart, which only comes from um, the Word of God and meditating on it. And he, 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 he nurtured that relationship with the Father. So that means he dedicated time. He placed value on being with God the Father. He, he's going he's gonna, to... If you want to show value in a friendship or you want to show value in a marriage, you dedicate time to that person. I'd like to spend time being together. So Jesus nurtured his walk with God the Father. And as we nurture ours, there will be joy. Number five, love people. Love people really well. And so we can't control what people in our lives are like. And we can't control dysfunction we can't control awkwardness. We can't control uh, tension. We can't control anything except ourselves. And I can, I can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, control what comes out of me. And I have choices that I can make. And I have found, from experience of following Jesus, that in really difficult situations, it feels great to love well. It makes me joyful. It's not easy, but it makes me joyful makes me a whole lot more joyful than complaining. makes me a whole lot more joyful than blaming. makes me a whole lot more joyful than criticizing and arguing with. But what do we see in Jesus is this model of incredible, humble love. And so joy, drinking from the Spirit, actually is bound up in living Jesus' life out. Number six. Share in Jesus' renewing work. Share in it. Jesus is very active all over the world and throughout our lives. And if we want to experience Jesus' joy, share in Jesus' work. And so Jesus, how can I join you in what you're doing in my church? How can I join you in what you're doing on my street? How can I join you in what you're doing here and there and everywhere? But as we, C.S. Lewis said it like this, he said, uh, you know what, if you're, if you're thinking about Christianity and you're quite not, not quite there intellectually, like it ha- you haven't quite made the leap to, to believe it, he said, just start living it and see what happens. Just start following Jesus and living like him. And you'll find that it's the most joyful thing anyone could ever conceive of if you obey me. You love my, you love my, follow, love my commands. Okay. So... These things, when I look at them and when I read them, they might not seem right away like drinking. Okay? Love, righteousness, practice, constant gratitude, worship, love the Father, be in relationship, love people well, share in Jesus' renewing work. Um, But let's remember, again, that we're in relationship with God. He's spirit. He's put his spirit in us. And we're in communion with him all the time. And these are ways in which we, we basically practice the presence of God. 
You know, Pastor Gina greeted us this morning with these words of Jesus where he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And how many times a day do we think we're aware of the presence of God with us? Not very often. Is it because he's not with us? No. When we're aware of him with us, it's really, really joyful. So, so if he's always with us and we're not aware of it that often, what we need is to be able to cultivate an awareness of the presence of God, to walk with God. That's what this is about, walking with God. You fill me with joy in your presence. And so the prayer is going to be, Lord, um, help us to become aware of your presence and to commune with you and to receive from you. And I want to close by saying this. We're going to say, um, come back to, to where we started in the beginning in terms of uh, the, some of the difficulties of the Christmas season not going away. We're, going to, we're getting ready to sing this song, um, Trading My Sorrows. I'm trading my sorrows. Does, does the Christian pretend like sorrows don't happen? We're just getting rid of him? No, the Christian is a realist. The Christian is an incredibly honest about reality. It, the, the thing is, we know what the last word is. The last word is, you've not abandoned me to the grave. The last word is resurrection joy. And can you imagine these disciples that saw Jesus dead and then saw him alive? Like, if that can't stop you, if the grave can't hold you, oh my goodness! This is incredible! Nothing! Nothing could stop you or nothing could separate me from you. Like, Oh my goodness, my worst enemy, my worst fears, it's all gone. And so the invitation for us from Jesus, even in difficulty and trial and pain and suffering, is to live with resurrection joy. You're with me, you won't leave me, nothing can conquer you. Joy is the flavor of the Christian life, and joy is what attracts people to Jesus. And so if you're sitting here this morning, you say, I need more joy. I resonate with this. I hunger for this. Well, let's just pray and then let's sing. But let's pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us into prayer. And Lord, thank you that you are the overwhelming source of all joy. Thank you that joy was your idea. You made it. Thank you that you long for us as your children, as your followers, to be filled with joy. And so, Lord, some of us are sitting here this morning saying, I need more joy. And, Lord, you know the way for us to live in that. And you know the places in our hearts that just need to be refreshed and touched, strengthened and helped. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch afresh right now. You just would pour out joy. Touch afresh. I pray that if there's anybody here that's um, just been away from God for a while, uh, that the Lord's just drawn you back, that you would respond to him this morning that you would um, talk to him. And Lord, would you fill and refresh with your joy. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.